Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. Exactly eight hours and 54 minutes to think about why you're here. Any questions? Yeah. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? A brain. Chicks, now hold it. Smoke. That A beauty. I'm not going to discuss my private life until the strangers. A jock. You wear tights? I wear the required uniform. Tights. Shut up. A rebel. To get a rise out of you. Just ignore him. You can ignore me if you try. And a recluse. I'm a nymphomaniac. Are your parents aware of this? <laughs> I've got a hunger. I want to spend a little more time so trying to do something with yourself. And a little less time trying to impress me. Might be better off. <laughs> yeah, I can see you guys. Wrong. Being bad feels pretty good. You see us as you want to see us. In the simplest terms, the most convenient definition. Sincerely yours. The breakfast club. Forgot my pencil. Welcome back to episode four of the Tragedy of Cinema. And as you've heard in the trailer, we will be discussing The Breakfast Club this week. Breakfast Club. Terrence, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good, man. How's yourself? Good. Great. Um, I'd just like to say thank you to all of you that have listened to our podcast. Um, we've seen a, a huge jump in numbers recently, last week or two. Which is amazing. And uh, had some people contact me, Facebook Messenger, texting me, um, saying, oh yeah, I just discovered your podcast and I'm sharing it with my son and my brother and their kids. So thank you for listening. It really means a lot to us. So, Terrence, as you can tell by last week, I surprised you with a question. Yes. So I thought we'd start off the show with a bang this week, and I'm getting ready. You have no idea what I'm going to say, do you? No idea. Okay, so this is off the top of his head. 
Terrence, I want to know what are the five most memorable cinematic scenes for you that have stuck with you or you was like, oh, you know, the one that either made you cry or just that you remember from when you were a kid that just stuck with you. So I'm going to give you five. Okay. And I wrote down a few too, so we'll see if... All right, gotcha. All right. I know it's on the spot. It's going to be tough. It is, it is. Okay, so cinematic scenes that have really stuck with me. Um, And once again, just like the last one, this is in no particular order. These are just five things that pop up into my head. First one, Gladiator, when Maximus is in the theater, he reveals who he is, and he's just, are you not entertained? (laughs) I love that scene. Uh, Obviously, another scene would be, and I wouldn't be me if I didn't bring up Star Wars, (laughs) but, you know, the iconic scene of... Uh, when Vader reveals to Luke that he's his father. And I actually had that down he, as one yep, of mine. And then he has that this. iconic scream. Yeah! <laughs> it's not true. It's not true. <laughs> uh, great scene. Uh, let's see. Third one, The Matrix. When he was dodging the bullets as Agent Smith was shooting him. Okay, that okay. was big because that was the first time that was done in film. And as a huge action film you know, junkie when I was younger, that was super awesome to see. Uh, and I, I watched that movie with my family, and that was really iconic for me. Uh, let's see, number four, I will have to go with Lord of the Rings when, uh, I forgot the character's name, but when she stabs the wraith, and he's like, no man could kill me, and she goes, Eowyn. I am no man, and, and, then, she, and then you See, also, I wrote, I wrote down another thing from Lord of the Rings, but it was from the Two Towers, the Battle oh, of Helm's Deep, Battle when the uh, Urukai or whatever comes with the torch, and he dies in there and oh, blows up yeah, half the yeah. wall. I thought that was really memorable, too. And um, to pair with that one, I'm not going to add it as my fifth, but to pair with that, since it's also Lord of the Rings, when uh, Gandalf and Gandalf, the Balrog. you shall not pass. Right. That scene was so epic. And just when the Balrog falls and he, yep. his whip and comes his up whip and grabs comes him. up. Yeah, it's totally unexpected. The first time I watched that, I was like, oh my <laughs> gosh. Um, and he sits there, fly, you fools. Yeah. Just, no, Gandalf. <laughs> uh, and then finally, fifth scene that's really iconic off the top of my head. I'm going to go with, and this is a probably the most recent one of all the examples, but I'm going to go with the first John Wick when they first raid his house and he just takes out all of these dudes that are after him because <laughs> that movie sparked my uh, sort of love for action movies. Besides Marvel movies, which are great, but they you know kind of share a formula and you kind of you know what to expect. Right. Um, besides those, I hadn't really watched a good action movie that made me go, that movie was amazing. Like, I've liked it. Uh, but when I watched John Wick, that one, it sparked that that Kindle for, for oh, man, this is why I love action movies. This is so good. Right. Uh, well, I'm going to ask you a question. Since that was your five, I want to know, is there ever been a movie that you cried in? Movie that I cried in? I would say uh, there are – yeah, okay. So one off the top of my head I would say would be uh, in I Am Legend. Okay. When – uh, Will Smith's character's dog dies. Mm-hmm. That was a very sad scene. Uh, got brought brought a couple tears to my eyes. Uh, what's another one? I know it's on the spot. It's kind of rough at times. It <laughs> is. Well, okay. So the problem is, is I also watch a lot of anime. So like when I think of tear jerky scenes, like a lot of those things pop into my head. So I'm trying to 
bring it back to movies. Right. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not trying to bring that into. Well, into while this. you're thinking about that, I'm going to throw out some other memorable scenes that I that I think were pretty well done. And and one of them, since mine, I was a kid in the '80s. One of them that sticks out for me is in the Neverending Story, where Artax, the horse, and Atreyu is oh, in the quicksand. Yeah. He's like, "Come on, you got to go, please," you know. And, and it just it crushed as a me. Kid. Crushed me. Uh, of course, Vader. Um, also. I don't know if you've seen I think you have, but the Saving Private Ryan, the opening oh, scene. Yes. The opening scene was just, the first 20 minutes of that movie was just... Amazing. I was just in awe, you know, and, and it makes you realize um, the the veterans that went through that, there's a reason they don't talk about stuff like that. Yeah. And if, if you see that movie, just everything that happened, you know, it makes you proud to be an American, you know, and Absolutely. thankful for the country you live in. And it, it, it put as a veteran myself, it, it really puts in perspective on like what some of the older veterans went through and how different but also interestingly enough the same things are in a way. Um, but yeah, no, that's it's very good scene, uh, very good movie. And honorable mention on my part in full metal jacket, the entire just boot camp uh, section of that movie. Is that true? I mean you went to boot camp, right? Oh, how they rip! Okay, so uh, I mean, without you know, this is a family-friendly show. Of course, so. of course. So uh, I, my, I was in the Navy. Uh, I was a Navy CB. So even though uh, CBs are probably more akin to Army or Marines, I still went to Navy boot camp. So it is different, and it's a different type of beast. Plus, I joined in in two thousand and eight, so it was also treated differently. Uh, there are some things that carry the same, uh, but then there are other things that are done differently. Okay, so another uh, another famous scene I think, and I know you haven't seen this, but Hoosiers. A lot of us that uh, are from we are we are in Indiana filming this, uh, recording this. So, but Hoosiers, the movie Hoosiers, at the end when uh, the little the guy hits the game winning shot for the title, and it's from just a small town in Indiana, you know, small school. I mean, it's it's a really moving scene. Another one, I don't know if you've ever seen this either, is the original Fog. Uh, I haven't. But it, there's a scene at the end of that when I was little, I'd be watching it, and the, this this fog is rolling through the town, and at the end they show, like, one of the pirates' face. This, yeah. The, and it, it, it was pretty scary for me. And I threw this one in there for fun. Ernest goes to camp. When he's in there and he's plunging <laughs> the toilet, and he's like, ooh. You know, just, just <laughs> iconic scenes for me. So, Well, with that being said, uh, episode four is about The Breakfast Club. So, Terrence, shall we dive into it? Yep, so just a reminder, uh, sort of the process we're going through. We're going to go over some of the known facts uh, as far as, you know, casting, writing, directing, some of the numbers and everything. And from there, we'll go into trivia facts. We'll end with our opinions, and then we'll read emails and whatnot from there. So with that, let's jump into it. Breakfast Club. This movie was released in, on February 15th, 1985. Its budget was million dollars which equates today to two million some change uh opening weekend in the u.s so it's opening weekend made about five million so it made its money back and that today equates about 12 million it's gross in the usa during its peak time i imagine that the grosser is that total when it was in theaters uh, yeah gross okay yeah. gross in theaters made 45 million which is about 108 million in today's dollars uh, cumulative worldwide, fifty-one million. So it sounds like it didn't do so well with the rest of the world. And we'll see why here in a little bit. Exactly. Uh, this was directed and written by John Hughes, who is also known for planes, trains, and automobiles. Planes, trains, automobiles. 
uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Ferris Off. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Christmas Vacation, National Lampoon, and a couple other National Lampoon right. uh, movies. 16 uh, Candles. Exactly, yes. Uh, its runtime was an hour and 37 minutes, so your average movie length. Uh, sound mix, it was using uh, mono, uh, Dolby Stereo. A lot of the stuff in the 80s were done with this. Uh, very common. Uh, it was a This movie was done in color. Uh, I don't think there was... If anything was done in black and white in the 80s, it was an artistic choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, aspect ratio, we're looking at 8 point... Oh, I'm sorry, 1.85 by 1. Uh, this camera that it used was a Panaflex camera and lenses by Panavision. Uh, so those were both made from the same company. Those are both uh, Panavision, and this was very prevalent. Uh, they were very reliable, uh, very sturdy, so these cameras were used a lot, uh, and they were very common to see in, in studios around that time. And probably today, Panavision still makes cameras, and uh, I'm pretty sure that they're still used in films today. Uh its laboratory was Technicolor, so this was filmed in Hollywood, USA. No surprise there. <laughs> <laughs> Film length, uh, we're looking at 2,656 meters. It's a lot of film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, negative format, we're 35 millimeter. As I've said in previous episodes, uh, this was a very, very common uh, format. Uh, cinematographer process, uh, cinematographic process was uh, spherical. Uh, and then it's printed film format, once again, 35 millimeter. Now, as far as the awards it won, it did win some MTV Movie Awards, uh, which isn't around anymore. <laughs> um, uh, wow. <laughs> and so uh, the winner was for Silver Bucket of Excellence Award. Uh, and then the winners of that was uh, Anthony, Michael Hall, Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, and Ali uh, Shibley. Is, is that a made-up award? I, I what, don't what, even know what, what that entails. What is the, what silver, is bucket the of silver bucket We'll have to excellence. look that up. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a made-up award to me. You know it, what I mean? It just, does. Just, just to give it something. What should we give this? It made money. <laughs> well, uh, the silver bucket of excellence award. <laughs> but it's not great. even a golden bucket of excellence. <laughs> <laughs> it's the silver bucket. Uh, and then it also... Uh, in the National Film Preservation Board, it was a winner for National Film Registry. So, I mean, as you can tell by just the awards, or should I say lack of awards that it was even nominated for, um, you can tell where this episode's going to be going. Um, we both rewatched the film, or most of it, uh, and we'll dive into that a little bit later. But right now, we're going to get into the uh, cast. Uh, Milio Estevez, he played Andrew Clark. Paul Gleason uh, played Richard Vernon, Anthony Michael Hall, Brian Johnson, John Kapalos, Carl, Judd Nelson, John Bender, Molly Ringwald, Claire Standish, Ali Sheedy, Allison Reynolds, Perry Crawford, Allison's father, Mary Christian, Brian's sister, Ron Dean, Andy's father, Tim Gamble, Claire's father, Fran Gargano, Allison's mom, and Mercedes Hall as Brian's mom. You want to go ahead and give us the synopsis of this movie, Terrence? So Will do. So people know what I'm talking about. All right. So if you haven't watched this film, as you know, always we preface it so you can watch it and you know follow along and know what we're talking about. So the synopsis of this film is five high school kids from different walks of life are given a nine-hour detention. It's actually eight hours. Is it actually eight yeah, hours? Yeah, it's eight hours. Um, Eight-hour detention in their school library on a Saturday afternoon and are given the assignment to write a 1,000-word essay on who they are. 
Through conversations throughout the day, they discover that they have more in common than they thought. Will they survive the eight hours of detention? Will they become friends or remain strangers at the end of the day? Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Terrence, did you ever have detention? I did. <laughs> For like the silliest reason. I, uh, I didn't have a locker, so I always carried the books that I needed with me. But I was also, no- yeah, exactly. I was also notorious for just not bringing my books. And so I would use my friend's book. And uh, I had one teacher goes, if you forget your book again, you're going to have detention. And sure enough, I forgot my book. So then I got detention. But it wasn't, it wasn't anything like this. I just sat there. For, uh, but for how long? It wasn't it, no it was, eight it, hours. No, it wasn't. I mean, this is, this is early and 2000s. You know, and you know what? I think sometimes <laughs> when they give a kid detention, especially like in this movie, it was on a Saturday. I mean, how inconvenient for the parents. I mean, most and, parents yeah. are, are out there working. Even today, you know, I understand detention and the, the uh, I guess, punishment, if you will, for the kids. Need for discipline, but yeah. They, they also got to realize that some parents are working, you know what I mean? And it's they, they can't be there at certain times or maybe they have to make it back to work and all that, you know. And so I think exactly. sometimes maybe a parent-teacher call or conference would be a lot better, you know what I mean? So that way the parents... If it's serious work. enough, absolutely. Right. Uh, if, if if not, then... I mean, I just did like an hour detention. Right. I don't even remember what I did. I remember there was another point in time uh, I got in trouble and I just... It was something similar. Oh, no, it wasn't, it wasn't even writing an essay. I just had to write the dictionary and it was just... You just copy what's in the dictionary and Did you have to your do the, the dictation done. and all that too like the dot. everything i had to write word for word word for word from a until my detention's done wow <laughs> how far did you get i don't even <laughs> yeah i was gonna say not very far did you all That's right one of those mindless all right let's right. are do you this. ready for some unknown facts trivia let's do this are you ready no, not really <laughs> okay you can tell terrence <laughs> is not really thrilled with this movie so we're gonna get going into this anyway um First the thing is, this film was shot in sequence. Not sure if because most of it took place inside the school to save from switching sets or, or film, you know what I mean? So they it was all shot in one place. That's actually really interesting that it was shot in sequence because most movies are shot out of sequence. There's right. a lot of movies that shoot the end first and right. then they'll go from there. But uh, And that all depends on where they're filming and location and everything. But also, so. according to this movie, most of it is taking place in a library. Yeah. So it's not like they have to move anywhere or go to a different scene, you know. That's true. Uh, the scene where all the characters sit on the floor in the library and tell each other why they were in detention was all ad-libbed. John Hughes let them make up their own story as to why they were there in detention. Huh. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> uh, Claire was supposed to dance alone, but Molly Ringwald was uncomfortable, so John Hughes made the whole cast dance. Huh. Um Judd Nelson stayed in character even when not filming. He was bullying Molly Ringwald and was almost fired because of it. That's terrible. I mean... (laughs) But, I mean, a lot of these characters that we've talked about, they get so much into their character. I mean, if we even look at, um, in Batman, the Joker, Heath Heath Ledger. Oh, yeah. He got into it so bad, you know what I mean? I think it ultimately cost him his life. Exactly. Actually, you know, obviously we'll probably dive into it later. But, you know, that was the same with uh, Jack Nicholson warned him. Uh, right. When he played the Joker, something similar. And uh, Jared Leto, the most recent Joker, uh, terrorized his he, he did, co-workers. He to did the some point stuff that where, we're not going to mention on this podcast, yeah, exactly. but, but he tried to get into character too. Yeah, and it, it was to the point where the other cast members had want, wanted nothing to do with him. Right. But he is super in-depth uh, method actor, and it, it, for that one, I think it burned some bridges on, on his end. Right. 
this uh, was intended to be several or there was intended to be several sequels 10 years apart for this film but the Hugh said he would not work with Nelson again so not only seven sequels well no no, no oh, several okay. sequels. several sequels so I'm thinking well you have the breakfast club then you have what the lunch date and then you have what the supper <laughs> six or whatever oh man <laughs> Uh, the biggest regret in making this movie, according to John Hughes, the breaking of glass effect during the marijuana scene. That was so random and weird. Right. I was like, why? Did, what? Yeah. Why? <laughs> that made absolutely zero sense. Right. <laughs> uh, and this, this may explain it. John Hughes wrote this whole script in only two days on July 4th and July 5th, 1982. So for anyone who thinks... Man, maybe I'm not that good of a writer and it won't get produced. Just remember, John Hughes wrote a script in two days and it got produced. And so. it made a little bit of money. <laughs> and it, it, so, it made its money back and then hey, some. Hey, follow so. your dreams. If you have something you want to get there, it could take you two days, two hours, two years, 20 years. Stick with it. Never know until you try. Right. Bender, at the end of this movie, was asked to play around and do different takes. He was supposed to just walk out and go on his way, but he raised his fist in the air, which has become an iconic symbol of the 80s. John Hughes loved improvising by his cast. Even Brian's reason for having a fake ID so I can vote was improvised. I actually liked that line. Uh, and I. it's funny because I knew of the iconic scene, um, but I didn't watch the movie until yesterday slash this morning. Uh, so it's interesting that I've, I've known that iconic scene. I have know where it came. I knew it came from. Uh, but you had never seen But I'd never seen the movie until recently. <laughs> a few hours ago. Yeah. Molly Ringwald was originally asked to play Allison, but she convinced the studio and Hughes to give her the part of Claire. Hmm. I think it's more fitting. Yeah. Um, the flinch that Bender gives when Vernon fakes a punch was genuine. He really thought he was going to get hit. <laughs> so he was scared. Judd Nelson went to a high school in there where they were shooting and convinced him that he was a real student there. He even brought them beer with his fake ID and would ask them to drop him off at the hotel the cast were staying at. They asked, why was he staying at a hotel? He said, well, because my father is in jail and I'm staying here while he's in there. Wow. I mean, you talk about people getting into their character. character right? Yeah. It wow. seems like this guy just took it, he took he really it to heart. He took it, yeah. Took it and ran. Wow. Anthony Michael Hall's mother, Mercedes Hall, and his sister, Mary Christian, played his mother and sister in the movie. Hmm. That's interesting. I like how they... I mean that's nice when you have your family, you know, being part of this. Why not? If they if they can do the part, then right. And it, and it, you know, they'd be like, oh, he looks like his sister. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Judd Nelson made up many of his sayings from the movie, including "Neo Maxi Zoom Dweeby." Oh yeah, I, I heard that. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> uh, I actually had to rewind to just hear just... what he said, and I was like, I've never heard that term. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, he made up a bunch of them. Uh, John Kapalos jokingly told the cast to watch their intensive laughing because actor Martin Sheen once suffered a serious heart attack while filming Apocalypse Now. <laughs> Emilio Estevez, Martin Sheen's son, was enraged by this remark. Kapalos, Kapalos had no idea Sheen was Emilio's father. Years later, when Kapalos was guest starring on The West Wing, he told Martin Sheen the story, who thought it was hilarious. That is pretty funny. Right? <laughs> but I, they, 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 he apologized and got yeah. they forgave him, so... The dandruff scene, which is the most, the one that I remember the most, where Allison's sitting there and she's drawn a picture and she she bends over and she shakes her head and oh, the yeah, dandruff's yeah. falling. The dandruff that Allison shakes on her drawing for snow was actually Parmesan cheese. 
<laughs> oh jeez! <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. So they put Parmesan cheese on the jaw. Yeah, on, I don't know if it was her hair or she or, just you know what? Yeah, or if they like sprinkled it while she was doing it. That's right. that's interesting. Uh, Molly Ringwald and Hall dated briefly after the movie. Hmm. The joke Bender tells when going through the ceiling tiles has no punchline. It was ad libbed, and no one could come up with a punchline. <laughs> <laughs> so here's here's a here's, little like here, side take on because. I did construction when I was in the military, so it always bugs me when I see any movie with them like crawling in ducts or crawling in the ceiling because it would not hold weight right at all. And like, given they he does break through the ceiling eventually, but the fact that he got as far as he did is so far fetched. But I mean, then you have that scene with breaking glass, so it's and let not me ask you this question: seriously. John Hughes obviously didn't have a um, problem with the cast ad libbing. I would like to know what was in the original script. Then, that's true. Because how if if uh, you know we keep seeing this same reoccurring thing of this was at the this was at the what was even in the original script? Five five maybe people are sitting just, in detention. Maybe he just wrote ad lib <laughs> <laughs> on four pages. That, that's why <laughs> ad lib ad lib. Ah, oh, this is going great. Right. Uh, John Cusack auditioned for the role of Bender. Huh. There's actually a bunch of people, as we get down through, a bunch of people audition for Bender, and some of them will surprise you. Hmm. The ages of everyone in the principal cast at the time of filming are as follows. Judd Nelson was 25 years old. Molly Ringwald was 16. Her 17th birthday was only three days after the film's release. Emilio Estevez was 23 years old. Anthony Michael Hall was 16. And Ali Sheedy was 23. That makes sense. It shows. Yeah. You can tell there's some yeah. age difference. And I've always felt that way. And that, that happens with a lot of uh, uh, TV shows and movies alike where they're like, they're in high school and they're like, these look like grown people. Well, most famous one for that a TV show, Beverly Hills 90210, when yeah. Luke Perry was, what, 20-something or 30-something and playing high school student. I, I believe uh, uh, Saved by the Bells guilty of that, too. Uh, I don't know I, about that one. I, these are just from the top of my head. I didn't really watch these shows, right. but uh, I do know. I do remember seeing commercials and be like, "It doesn't feel like high school." Or even when I was younger than that, I'm like, "Do we just suddenly look like adults were in high school?" And I get to <laughs> high school, I'm like, "This is not what I envisioned. I thought we would just be where, how we're going to look as adults." That's far. The switchblade in the movie actually belonged to Judd Nelson. He claimed he had it, had it for protection purposes, so it was actually his own. It must have been before they uh, made it illegal yeah. in, in L.A. or California in general. I think it's anywhere, ain't it? Is it no, anywhere? I think so. Hall hit a growth spurt during filming. He was originally shorter than Bender at the beginning of the shooting, but was taller than him by the end of the shooting. That's hilarious. <laughs> Long eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> the cast rehearsed the film a few times through like it was a play before filming. Soon as the film became a big hit amongst high schoolers, Hughes was asked to write a play version so the schools could perform it. Really? really? I wonder how the play version went. I don't Especially because it's... I'd like to see it, though, and read it. Now, you know, it's see a lot if it's... of um, uh, foul language. You know yeah, I mean? well, we're going to talk about that yeah. during my opinion. Yeah. But um, I would like to read it just to see if, if, if he holds more to his script or if he put the ad-lib stuff in there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just to see what he added to it. Uh, Judd Nelson... Clothes, uh, Jed Nelson's clothes he is wearing in the movie are the exact same clothes he auditioned for in the role of John Bender. Hmm. Allison does not speak until 33 minutes into the movie. 
Yeah, no, that's true. I noticed uh, she just didn't have any lines. It was light, just a lot of um, actions and uh, I think she laughed or chuckled or yeah, something. Yeah, uh, but she doesn't actually speak, and like you were saying, until a good chunk in the movie end. Emilio Estevez was originally going to play Bender, but Hughes couldn't find anyone to play Andrew, so Emilio agreed to do it. Hmm. Which, good for him. Here we go with the role switching again. Don't You Forget About Me, the theme song was written by Keith Forsey. And you know what? I was going to add a comment here like, I wish I could forget about you, but (laughs) I'm not going to say that because I I wasn't really a fan of this movie, but I'm I'm going to do the movie justice because, you know, some people like this stuff. Some people (laughs) like this movie, so... Uh, but everybody's got their own opinions, and that's what we're going to discuss at the end of this. Don't you <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, Terrence, <laughs> enough. I will be looking for a new partner for <laughs> the podcast. Uh, Molly Ringwald could not do the lipstick trick, so they had to do, shoot multiple angles to make it look like she could. Um, the library was built inside a gymnasium of a closed-down school. It has since turned into a police station. It's still there today. Hmm. I mean, and I, he also wanted to film in, in an actual school's library, but the yeah. library was too small. That makes so sense. So if you know the movie, it's the, this library it's is huge. Huge library, yeah. Huge. Um, Nicholas Cage was considered for the part of Bender, but his salary was way too large. That makes sense. But but can you imagine Nicholas Cage as Bender? It would be great. <laughs> it was ranked number uh, first for Entertainment Weekly's 50 Best High School Movies in 2006. And I'm... I'm thinking you had Grease, that right there alone beat that. Ferris oh, Bueller's man. Day Off. Yeah, there's. I mean, so many. Yeah. I, I just I don't understand that, but whatever. It's Entertainment Weekly. Are you not entertained? <laughs> <laughs> the Coke cans in the film have the 1984 Olympic symbol on them. They were held in Los Angeles. Okay, that's cool. I yeah. actually didn't know that. That's pretty cool that they throw those. Yeah. In. Um, what was used for marijuana in the film? Do you know? I don't know, oregano. Oregano it is. Huh. Nice, nice, nice job. Estevez, Sheedy, and Nelson all played high schoolers for this film. The same year, they played college graduates in St. Elmo's Fire. So oh, there, again, there again we see, you know, playing the high school and then playing yeah. college graduates. Yeah. So. At the end of the film, Hughes gave a piece of the library's banister to the cast. Okay, that's pretty so, cool. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool to hang. Sheedy originally auditioned for the main role in 16 Candles, but Molly Ringwald got it. When she auditioned, she had two black eyes from a set-building accident. When Hughes needed a goth-style goth actress, he remembered her look from, from then and gave her a call. Hmm. Interesting. It is interesting. because yeah. <laughs> John Kapolos rarely socialized with the rest of the cast members to keep in isolation. Really? Mm-hmm. So there huh. again, you have people getting into character. Yeah. And just, sometimes they go overboard with it, though. You know what That's I mean? That's true, yeah. Vernon is based on one of high school, or Hughes' real-life gym teachers who flunked him. He said years later that when he ran into the teacher, the teacher said the movie was good, but boy, that principal was a real jerk. <laughs> so he didn't know he was talking. He was based on him. That's, that's hilarious. I know. The BMW that was driven by Molly Ringwald's dad in the movie was owned by John Hughes. Oh, okay. So there's actually so little, John Hughes. Uh, self, uh, what do you what do you call it? Like a non-humble breath. <laughs> <laughs> Look at my BMW. Right. Uh, it was Allison's idea to add Captain Crunch to the sandwich to give it an extra loud sound when she chewed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was strange. What, did she add a bunch of sugar on, on her bread? Yeah. 
And then, because uh, she first throws out the questionable piece of meat, and then, uh, and then she throws. <laughs> well, it a wasn't bunch. a school, so you know those cafeteria food. <laughs> and then she, uh, and she throws a bunch of sugar on it, and then she throws some Captain Crunch, and, that, they, and these are, all, I think, they all brought uh, lunches from home. Well, but, we'll, I'll, we'll say something about the, that down there too about the sugar. Gotcha. Uh, parts of the film were shot at one of John Hughes' old high schools that he attended. When Bender launches a loogie and catches it, guess what? Mm. It was improvised. <laughs> no, 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 no surprise, right? Half the movie was pretty gross. <laughs> yeah, it was gross. <laughs> Hughes insisted the entire crew eat their lunch in the school's cafeteria. Huh? I guess trying to keep them in character, you know. I guess, yeah. Other titles before the Breakfast Club, before the Breakfast Club became the title of this movie. Do you know what they were? No idea. The Lunch Bunch and Library Revolution. <laughs> <laughs> The album, do you know this? Do you know that the album that Allison is looking at during lunch, do you know what it was? I have no idea. It was 1999 by Prince. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> Judd Nelson went to a laundromat in character and ended up getting the police called on him, <laughs> which I could totally see. <laughs> yeah, that, that I can see that happening. Uh, okay, now this one, and I wish this would have been true. Rig Moranis was originally going to play the janitor. I would have loved that. That would have been great. I like Rick Moranis. Chicago Library donated over 10,000 books to the movie. Wow. That's that's really cool. That's awesome to get that whole scene set up. That's cool, yeah. Are you ready for this one? Jim Carrey also auditioned for the role of Bender. Wow. You that would have really put a, a interesting comedic spin on it in a completely different style. Uh, than what was portrayed well, I think in the either movie. him or Nicolas Cage, any of these, you know. I personally would have loved to see Nicolas Cage. <laughs> I can one hundred percent see Nicolas Cage in that role. Well, I can see I Jim Carrey doing it too. Though. I could too, but he'd be more funnier. You know, that's true. If John Hughes couldn't get Emilio Estevez to play the role of Andrew Clark, are you ready for this? Here's who he would have considered casting: Michael J. Fox, <laughs> Jim Carrey, Tom Cruise, Matthew Broderick, or Rob Lowe. Wow. Some some high expectations. Especially because he goes, Nicolas Cage is too expensive. What about Tom Cruise? <laughs> or Michael J. Fox was <laughs> really big. Michael J. Fox, yeah. Uh, here's another one. Jodie Foster was considered to play Claire. And Brooke Shields was considered to play Allison. Wow. Can you imagine that cast if they would have got some of these other people? Yeah. Like Brooke Shields and Jodie Foster with Nicolas Cage and Michael J. Fox. <laughs> I mean, it's a totally different movie. Right. It would It would be completely different. Allison never speaks to Vernon in the film. She chuckles and squeals. That's true. Yep. Yeah. The title for the film is The Last Spoken Line. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's right. When he's uh, reading off the essay as it closes out the movie. Okay, yeah. Here, here's what we were talking about a little bit earlier. Allison was said to be a healthy eater and that she got a sugar high when eating the sandwich while filming. <laughs> okay, here you go. Are you ready for this one? I want to see your reaction when I read this one. All right. This is said is among the 1,001 movies you must see before you die. Oh. I think we should just go down to 1,000 and cut this one out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, 1,001 movie, that's a lot of movies. So it, it might be, able to, but is it a must see? Probably not. All right. The high school was used in John Hughes' next film. You know what that was? Ferris Bueller's Day. Ferris Bueller's Day. Yeah. It's the same high school. Yeah. I mean, I just picked the other right, movie that, that was in high do. school off the top of my uh, head, yeah. Sheedy was also cast partially for her role in War Games. 
Really? Huh. He must have really liked her, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, well, I mean, th- there are directors who really like certain actors' work, and you, you notice that they tend to work together a lot. I mean, a huge example is Tarantino and Samuel L. Jackson. Right. Right. Claire's hairstyle changes when she is on the floor. Huh. Does it? Yeah. It I does. didn't catch that. I yeah. didn't catch that at all. Here's another one. Claire's Claire puts on her lipstick and puts the cap back on and puts in her purse. And the next scene, it's in her hand again. I didn't catch that either. <laughs> See, it's these little things that I love. Yeah. That, oh, here's a here's a funny one. The pimples on Claire's chin appear and disappear throughout the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, she's That's playing great. a teenager. She yeah, was right. a teenager. She was only sixteen. So yeah. All right, and and the last thing is uh, this group was known, uh, and a few others are known as the Brat Pack. And you may be wondering, well, what's the Brat Pack? Well, the Brat Pack is a play on the original Rat Pack from uh, with Sammy Davis Jr. and who was it? Uh, Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra. Yep. Um, but these are people who played roles in the coming of age movies in the '80s, such as The Outsiders, Class, Sixteen Candles. Oxford Blues, The Breakfast Club, St. Elmo's Fire, Pretty in Pink, Blue City, About Last Night, Wisdom, Fresh Horses, and Betsy's Wedding. I didn't know they were on The Outsiders. I love that movie. Right. Um, if you want to go ahead and say something, I want to look up the... I had a thing of the people in the Brat Pack, so if you want to go ahead okay. and give us your take on the movie while I'm looking this okay, up. Okay, so we'll jump in and take real quick. So my take was, and I, like I said, I've fairly watched it recently, uh, some last night and then the rest of it this morning. It is definitely not my cup of tea. Uh, definitely. I, I'm actually surprised that it became one of the, uh, most popular high school movies, I, I guess amongst high school kids at that time. Uh, it just, for me, it was wrapped up in a lot of, overused cliches uh, that they almost hit to a T and there wasn't really any uh, they were slight character development but they all kind of stayed with their cliche I guess you could say um, and then the ending random relationship pair ups uh, was random in my opinion mm-hmm. it, it seemed off uh, the class breaking yeah it was it was so random I, I could not in my head explain why this is a thing in this movie <laughs> like I, I get they're going for like this crazy off the wall speaking of which that whole depiction of being high I was like wait have they do they know have they ever met someone who is high because the, the jock you know he's he hot boxes in one of the rooms um, and then he comes out and he's like yeah and then he's all like super energetic and everything and I'm like that that's something else. <laughs> He's not smoking weed. There's a lot of, of course, there's a lot of drug use. So this isn't, this is not a kid-friendly movie at all. Right. Uh, there's, there's a lot of sort of misogynistic things, which, you know, things against women. Um, there's a lot of really harsh language that at points seems unnecessary. Because I am don't, I should say, I don't mind uh, language in movies. I mean, Full Metal Jacket is a great example it's, one of my favorite movies. Uh, there's a lot of language in that, but it, didn't, it doesn't bother me. Where in this movie, it seems uh, sometimes it's overused and it kind of seems forced in the writing. Right. Yeah. And, and with this movie, when I seen this movie originally, it was on regular TV. So I, there wasn't any of this stuff oh, okay. on there. You know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of that was taken out. So, so the edited could, version. Or, yeah, or they even put in different words. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when I went back to rewatch it on DVD, 
I, I couldn't even make it through it because I don't like all that unnecessary yeah. cussing, yeah, cussing in general. You know what yeah. I mean? I, I don't like that. I think, Especially I think, as a high school movie. It, 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 right, and it became such a big hit with high schoolers, you know what I mean? And yeah. I was like, but but it was just pointless, you know what I mean? Yeah. They just went over the top with it, I think. Yeah. And which was most of it ad-libbed. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I do want to state again that this is just my opinion. Uh, it definitely doesn't... Uh, for the for those who do like the movie, uh, I'm not trying to down you for it. Good on you for liking the movie. I just personally uh, did not so much enjoy watching this particular movie. And it was uh, your first time seeing it. And right? it was my it was my first time seeing it. So this was this is my perspective from a first time viewing it from uh, a millennial from a millennial you. standpoint. Yes, exactly. Uh, so and obviously it, I it could also come down to the fact that I cannot relate. Uh, this is of course. Um, uh, what I imagine just from the cast and everything, sort of an all-white high school in the 80s where when I grew up, I went to a Mexican high school in California. And so obviously my uh, what I experienced and how I grew up in high school was, is completely different from this movie. So I'm not – I can't relate to it. Uh, I don't well, – Well, let's talk about that for a second because me and you have had to talk about racism yeah, and, and most people wouldn't know by looking at you that you are mixed. Exactly, yeah. and half we, black, me and half you, white. right? And me and you, we had this long conversation. You know what I mean? Because we get along so well, and and but racism still exists in this world. Absolutely, and I think it's terrible. I mean, me and you have hit it off so well. You know what I mean? Because yeah. people don't take the time to get to know somebody; they exactly. just want to judge. So, um, let me go ahead and throw these. Uh, these are the twenty-five people that are credited for being part of the Brat Pack. Okay, are you yeah. ready? Let's see if you know these: Anthony Michael Hall. Molly Ringwald, Emilio Estevez, Ali Sheedy, Rob Lowe, Demi Moore, hmm. Judd Nelson, Andrew McCarthy, Jamie Gertz, John Cusack, James Spader, Robert Downey Jr., Wow, Charlie Sheen, okay, John Cryer, Matthew Broderick, Jennifer Grey, Patrick Swayze, Corey Haim, Corey Feldman, Kiefer Sutherland, Alan Ruck, Kerry Green, Sean Penn, Tom Cruise, and Matt Dillon. Jeez, you know, for a uh, a take on the Rat Pack, that's a lot of people. Right. But, I mean, normally when you hear the Rat Pack, it's just the people usually in this movie. That, yeah. You know, I mean, you don't think the other people. That's true. So maybe that's why John Hughes thought about putting Tom Cruise in. Because, or yeah, these other people, sense. you know what I mean. That makes sense. So my take on this movie is. Well, let me let me finish oh, up. Oh, go, go ahead. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know if yeah. you were done. Um, so, like I was saying, uh, from a relatable standpoint, I couldn't relate to it. Uh, the overuse on the language I already touched on, um, and I felt the now now that I've gone we've gone through the trivia, it makes sense why some of it seemed out of place. It was ad libbed, uh, and it kind of seemed out of place for how their characters were writ- written. So they, they seem to bounce around on, on how they are, and it doesn't. it's almost not consistent. Like, uh, for example, the, uh, the geeky kid, the dork, um, so to speak, caricature, uh, he jumps between being the, the sort of follow-the-rules kind of kid, and then suddenly he jumps into, you know, rebelling when they all leave the room, and he kind of just follows along. Um... And then, you know, there's just many points where I feel it's kind of out of character. Uh, And maybe it isn't. Maybe he's just trying to follow along and be cool because he does have those moments where he is trying to be cool. And then 
I guess once again that falls into everybody just being a caricature of a character and that makes for me I think very 2D characters um, it's like okay I kind of know what they're going to do and how they're going to be about I'm not surprised about any of the things they do uh, but I guess it's not that kind of movie right um, but but in short yeah it's it, uh, from a scale of watch to not watch uh, I would say it's it's definitely not a, a recommended watch on, on my side of things uh if all the things I didn't like, you do like, then definitely watch it. Right. Yeah. Right. So so here's my take on it. I seen it a long time ago, and obviously I seen the TV version, so a yeah. lot of that was out. And it so I guess some of that stuff that you were talking about wasn't in there. You know, what I mean, as as in depth. Yeah. Um, it was it was okay from what I when I watched it from what I remember, yeah. and then when I tried to go back watch it, and then it just started getting crazy, and I was like, yeah, it's not for me. Um, like I said, that's why we do this podcast. We're going to tell you our own opinions. I mean, everybody has their own opinions. Uh, Terrence has his own opinions. I have. We don't always agree eye to, or see eye to eye on, on movies. And that's okay because everybody has their own opinion. If you like this movie, you like the director, good job. Like Terrence, we were talking earlier, Terrence loves like Planes, Trains, and Automobiles or National Olympics Christmas Vacation. He loves John Hughes with his direction in those. But for me, this movie, I... I I don't know if I would consider it one of my favorites. Um, it's not something Far I care it. to ever watch again. <laughs> I mean, if you, I would, I would probably stay shy away from this movie because, especially if you have younger kids, there's a lot of um, adults. Or if you like to have your kids around during right, the movie, right. yeah. Well, there's a lot of adult situations in this movie that I don't think kids should be exposed to. Yeah, no, especially sure. younger kids. I mean, you can do what you want with your kids. I'm not telling you how to raise your yeah. kids, but I'm just saying from my perspective. I know, I know I wouldn't want my kids to see that. You yeah. know what I mean? So Exactly. I, I, will give, uh, I will give it one high note. Um, I did enjoy the dancing scene. That was pretty as good. As random as it was. <laughs> uh, and that was after I was just like taken aback by the, the screaming in the glass room and everything. I believe that happened before the dance scene. And then the dance scene happens. I'm like, okay, that was fun. Um, random, but fun. Right, and and like you were talking about earlier, when at the end of the movie, when the goth chick, Allison or whatever, and they doll her up to make her pretty. Oh, yeah. Um, to me, that symbolized, we talked about this, that it just made that you have to be pretty for somebody to appreciate and like you. Yeah. And I don't agree with that. Just be who you are. Be yourself. And I, I think that's a caricature that sort of definitely was in the 80s, and it carried over in the 90s with a lot of movies, which you have this character who's, in my opinion, unique in their own way, but then they you know, they get dolled up and everybody notices them. And then, what was it like? The, the uh, not the Princess Bride, uh, the Diary, uh, Princess Diaries, or whatever. Yeah, she exactly. was just a normal high schooler, and then she found out she's a, a princess, yep. and you yep. know, uh, and then like you know, I, I just don't think as far as uh, like looks and embrace who you are, um, you don't need to to quote unquote like change completely and dial yourself up unless that's something you want to do. If it's a personal choice, yes, but if it's something that is sort of thrusted upon you. Uh, where in this case, um, Molly Ringwald's character, you know, she's like, "Hey, let's 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 change you up and everything," and um, they, you know, then they dollar up and all that stuff, and suddenly she's noticeable and stuff like that. Where I, I think she was just noticeable, just fine with her quirkiness and, like you were saying, with her crazy hair and everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that that is definitely a more of a personal take. I do know people do like that sort of like, "Hey, you know what? Let's be more changed for." fit more into the society status quo i guess you could say right so um with that being said this this is a this was a rough week for us for this movie um just because we don't like it or we wouldn't recommend it 
we're not saying you don't watch it. You do what you want to do. I know some people love this movie. I had one person message me like, oh, I love John Hughes's movies. Or, oh, I remember watching this when I was a kid. Or I, I put yeah. off watching it for a long time. And then when I watched it, I really enjoyed it. So everybody has their own cliche or, you know, their, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, their own uh, genre, I guess, that exactly. they like to watch. And it could even be a guilty pleasure. The guilty pleasure. <laughs> there are there are plenty of movies that I know are bad, but right. I like them. So it, it could be that for you, too. Right. So with that being said, we're going to go ahead and move into, from this, our opinions, because I think we took enough time up on our <laughs> yeah, opinions. definitely. Uh, um, that I'm going to read a couple of uh, reviews. we got one review and one email I'm going to read. So first is the review. Uh, this is from Robert Cohen there. I hope I spelled your, or pronounced your name right, Rob. Uh, this is a ama- it says amazing a plus 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 podcast. Great job, Jimbo and Terrence. You guys rock. Very informative and well done. If you are a fan of movies, all genres, definitely check it out. Well worth a listen and subscribe. You won't be disappointed. Trust me. Just waiting on my call to be a guest. <laughs> so thanks, Rob. That was very yes, nice. Thank of you. you so much. And the second, this was the email that I got, and it states, I have to admit that at first I was half expecting the show to be ill-prepared and lacking in the content that I like, but I am happy to report that I am pleasantly surprised. I love hearing the little bits of trivia and little-known facts about and leading up to good movies, even the little Easter eggs that are hidden in the movie that I uh, that do have them. I was in high... This is uh, going back talking about uh, our last episode about Tron. Um, I was in high school when Tron came out, and I believe that perhaps one of the biggest problems it had was that it came out a bit too early. The school that I went to didn't even have any type of computer classes at that point, and I think that the general public just didn't have the basic knowledge of what the movie was really repre- was representing. What we take for granted now as being even archaic terminology used in the movie, most of the public uh, hadn't even had a basic introduction of it yet. Although there is some notice taken in your broadcast to the time the movie was made, I think that perhaps a comparison to other movies of the genre that were out at the same time or immediately preceding may show the contrast through to why the movie did re- uh, movie did or did not reach its status as classic. Though, Even though I'm pretty much dragged my tail and put off listening to your show, I'm glad that you kept up with me and got me going with it. Mark Scott. And we appreciate that. And the long email. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that is actually an old boss of mine. Oh, okay. Uh, so uh, I, I told him, I said, hey, man, check this podcast. Check this podcast. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'll get to it. So finally, he finally <laughs> told me, he's like, yeah, he finally, he's, he, he actually liked what we did. So, well, with that being said, um, we're going to do something special this week. Uh, this is episode four. Um, we are getting ready to sit down and record our next uh, episode right in episode five right yeah. right into episode five because we wanted to get this one out this is a special request um, well not really a request but it is one of my best friend's uh, dad's favorite movies um, he is he has stage four cancer and he got sent home and hospice called in so we wanted to do something special for the family so we will be covering the day after tomorrow uh, here in just a few minutes, as soon as we wrap up this podcast. So if you want to watch the movie before we jump into that episode, or before you click on the next episode, right. uh, Be- you can definitely give it a watch. Because this movie did come out later, I think it was, I, I want to say 2006, I, yeah. I can't really remember, but uh, it is a newer movie that we probably wouldn't have covered, at least for right now, yeah. probably later on down the line, but uh, we wanted to go ahead and get it out for the family and for him so he could listen to it and enjoy. So uh, get ready. And with that being said, I think that's a wrap. That's and a wrap. And cut. cut.